Hey, Grace and family and friends, my name is Nate Milliken, and as is my custom, I want to let you know that I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a pastor alongside and under our lead pastor, Larry Riley, and then I also serve full-time with the North American Mission Board. Hey, we are continuing our series, How Long Will It Last? And we're going to be in Psalm 32, and the main idea, the big idea, if you will, that I want you to walk away from this sermon is this, to be forgiven is a joy-filled condition. To be forgiven is a joy-filled condition or reality. Psalm 126 says this in paraphrase, We laughed, we sang, we could not believe our good fortune. To be joyful, to have joy, is a characteristic of the Christian life. In fact, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 that the second fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. So joy is a reality. It's something that we express because we've surrendered our lives to Jesus. Now, joy is not a moral requirement for Christian living, right? As many of us experience hardship and difficulties and sadness, right? This past week, I was discouraged and sad about a couple things that were going on in the lives of my friends. And sometimes Christians can descend down into a dark place and feel as if joy has permanently moved out. You might have even whispered to yourself or listened to the enemy whisper into your heart, you don't have joy, you're not joyful, therefore you must not be a Christian. But as Eugene Peterson said, joy is not a requirement for Christian discipleship, it is a consequence. It's not a requirement for Christian discipleship, it is a consequence of discipleship. It's not what we muster up in and of ourselves. It's something that God gives to us as we come to Jesus in repentance of sin and faith. And one of the realities that we often don't talk a lot about is the joy that we possess. That is ours because of faith in Jesus. No one can take it away. We have at times feeble ongoing attempts to produce and conjure up joy Netflix and vacations and stand-up comedians and all the things that we do, YouTube videos and TikTok videos, but they're, they fall short and they are temporary in terms of getting down into the core essence of who we are. We were made to experience and possess joy. And again, joy doesn't mean that you're not going to have discouragement and sadness and difficulties and hardships, but Christian brother or sister, you're going to have those because believing and following Jesus means that you necessarily are going to have difficult times. But what it does mean is that sadness and pain and hardship are unable to drive out joy because we have that as people who are redeemed and forgiven, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us, which brings us to our text, Psalm 32. So let's read that together. If you have your hard copy of God's Word, Psalm 32, or on your phone, let's read God's Word, God's voice written down for you and for me. Here's what God's Word says to us. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit.
me wisdom and insight as I preach your word. Give everyone who's listening this morning or this evening an attentive spirit to hear and believe and do the things of this psalm. We pray this with expectancy. In Christ's name, amen. Let it be done. Psalm 32 is a mass skill of David. It's a teaching psalm. And David has experienced something in his life that he wants to convey to you and to me. And the something that he wants to convey is this, that when sin is concealed, there's something that happens. But when sin is confessed, there's forgiveness and freedom and peace that rushes over us. Again, the main point that I want you to take away this morning is this. To be forgiven is a joy-filled condition. Augustine, the fourth century theologian, said, the beginning of knowledge is to know thyself to be a sinner. The beginning of knowledge, the beginning of accurate, true self-assessment is to know thyself to be a sinner. Many people know about the predicament that David found himself in with Bathsheba. He was haunted by what he had done. He had seduced a woman. He had the commander of his army, General Joab, orchestrate the murder of Uriah the Hittite. And for the better part of a year, he concealed it. Most people think that he committed adultery, had Uriah murdered on the, on the front. Which is why... When you know what's going on in David's life and the duplicity and the wickedness, which is why he busts out in Psalm 32, verse 1, with this praise, blessed is the one, happy is the one, joy-filled is the one whose transgression is forgiven. There's three words here for sin, transgressions, sin, and iniquity. Transgressions is a word that means defiance. It's an act of rebellion of disloyalty. It's a revolt against authority. It's what your kids and it's what your grandkids are doing when they tell you no. They're being defiant. The word sin means to have defect or miss the mark or to fall short, oftentimes intentionally so. The word iniquity means perverseness or to be bent or crooked with the intent of doing wrong. Human nature is warped and twisted and bent. And David isn't describing three types of sin as they overlap with one another, but what he is saying is this, that the forgiveness of sin, sins against God, sins against our friends, our spouse, our kids, our neighbors, whether great or small, intentional or unintentional, the forgiveness of sins is found in the person and the work of God and nowhere else. David says, in whose spirit there is no deceit. He's referring to the one who refuses to deny or hide their sin, but instead honestly confesses it to God, which is what should characterize our relationship with God, and it's what should characterize our relationship with others. David, in his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, the murder of Uriah, fell well short of God's standard. The corruption of his heart came forth and his duplicitous dealings as he attempted to cover up. And before we move on in this psalm, what, what is one truth, what is one implication that we can glean from the very beginning of this psalm? It's this. There is room at the table for anyone. The Christian faith, 
The promises of forgiveness are for anyone and everyone, no matter what you've done, where you've been, and who you've done it with. They are for you and they are for me. No matter what you've said, no matter how you've misused your sexuality, no matter if you've committed adultery, no matter your enslavement to alcohol or pain meds or pornography or lying, no matter if you're an angry person and you continually lose your cool, no matter if you've been enslaved to wanting people to like you, no matter if you've tried to live up to a lifestyle that you really can't afford and your financial situation is in absolute disarray, it does not matter. There's room at the table for you. And there's this joy-filled condition that comes to those who experience the forgiveness found in God. Why? Because he tells us his transgressions are forgiven. Literally, it means to be taken up and carried away. The act of removal of sin and guilt and the remembrance of sin. He's been forgiven. His sin is covered. Speaking about atonement, where the sinner is reconciled, the relationship where there was odds and enmity and angst and separation. Now there's been reconciliation, there's peace, there's harmony because of what God has done. And God doesn't hold it against him. It's an accounting term, expression. It means the debt is considered paid or reckoned. Do you understand the beauty and the awesomeness of what David is writing? Do you own and acknowledge and confess your sin, knowing that the good news of Jesus teaches us that when we own and acknowledge and confess, agree with God about our sin, that there's forgiveness, there's reconciliation. God does not hold it against us. He covers over our sin. David gives us a personal illustration to the beauty and the awesomeness of the joy-filled condition that comes when we're forgiven. So everybody who's watching this right now, I may not know your name, I may not know all the details of your situation, but I know one of two things about every single person watching this sermon. You are either forgiven or you're not. Your sin has been covered or it has not. The Lord either does not hold your iniquity against you or he does. And there is a joy filled condition for that person who receives forgiveness in the work and the provision of Jesus. In verses 3 through 5, David gives us context and background of verses 1 through 2. He's sharing with us the consequences of concealing and harboring sin. He pictures himself as growing old and getting physically weak, and there's a couple different ways to interpret this. His anguish, his suffering is likened to anguish we know there's
And God delights, delights. What you uncover, God will cover. What you uncover, God will cover. But what you cover up, And then there's a shift in the text in verses 8 and 9. David is talking, and then he gets a word from the Lord, and God is a speaker, and he says, I'm going to show you. David closes this psalm in verse 11 by saying, So be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Why? Because God had changed Jesus, oh yes, the joy-filled condition to those who experience and receive forgiveness. And closing, 22 years ago, I was a senior in high school. Now, I know some of you who are watching this have socks older than 22 years, but 22 years ago seems like a long time. And I was just starting my senior year of high school, and my parents went out of town. And they said, you're in charge. My brother was a sophomore. My sister was an eighth grader. And they said, Nathan, we're going out of town for three days. No one is allowed in the house. Now, when they said that, what I heard was, you can have a couple people. So I invited a couple people, who in turn invited a couple people, who in turn invited a couple people, who in turn invited a couple more people. And pretty soon I had a house party that Friday night after my parents had left. Well, my parents found out, and I thought that I had cleaned and done everything right, but they eventually found out I was actually, that Sunday that they were out of town, was rewarded because of my Christian leadership in the student ministry at a church just across the river. And they found out that I had thrown a party, 
And it was a big deal, and I, there was rumors flying around, and I had to get up in front of the student ministry because there are all sorts of rumors and inaccurate recounts of what had happened, and this was going on, this was taking place, and I got up in front of our student ministry of 150 people and confessed and acknowledged what had taken place to set the story straight and to own what I had done. Well, fast forward about a year later, at my 18th birthday party, my grandparents had found a comic strip of two individuals who had a situation that mirrored mine. They were out of town. Their parents went out of town. They said, don't have a party. They did, and they got caught. They cut it out and framed it. And I remember looking at my student pastor and asking the question, hey, do you remember this happening? And here's what he said. I distinctly remember forgetting that. What was he saying? What was he doing? He was enacting what the gospel says about your sin and my sin. When we come to God in faith and repentance, it's not that God can't remember our sin, but he distinctly remembers forgetting it. And there was a joy-filled condition that filled my heart as an 18-year-old when I realized that God does not remember my sin. He does not hold it against me. I'm forgiven. It's covered. Here's what I want you to do in closing. Go tell someone you're a sinner. Go tell someone you're a great sinner. And then tell them about the greatness and the majesty and the forgiveness and the joy that you have because of the work and the person of Jesus.